Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Toad Meets Load podcast, where it's definitely our first time recording this intro. With me today, uh, looking forward to uh, the Georgia... Would it be a stretch to say you're looking forward to the Georgia Tech football kickoff uh, this Saturday, Andrew? Uh, you know, it's one of those games where I feel like we're going to win, but I feel like we're going to win by, like, seven to ten points, and I'm just going to assume we still suck. <laughs> and someone who's probably slightly more excited for the start of the season prospects is Artem. Now, Artem, you were actually low-key hyping up this matchup. Uh, y'all play – I don't know the actual matchup because I'm not – uh, I'm, I'm not that into Texas A&M, but I know y'all are playing a MAC team that has a pretty solid offense, right? Yeah, we're playing Kent State, and they're supposed to have a top 10 offense in the country this season. Of course, we're going to find out how that matches up against our D-line. Definitely I'm excited to see what we have. I don't expect them to challenge you, but it could be a fun thing to keep your eye on uh, if it turns into a shootout. We'll see. So, I think we all had a big... A fair bit of news this past week. I think most of it was complete nonsense, but why don't we go ahead and start with the topic that all the news pundits tell you is important and we think nothing of. So there was some kind of alliance, is what I've been told, between the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big Ten. Oddly enough, the Big 12 kind of got left out of that. So, Artem, I think you and I talked about this early in the week, and you had some uh, strong thoughts, let's say. Uh, what, why don't you give us a little bit of your uh, feelings about the alliance, I guess, that it's being called? I mean, that's a joke, right? It's a, essentially a gentleman's agreement, which is what the SEC had for not allowing certain teams in if certain teams were against it. We all know how... Some schools in the ACC, A&M, both about Texas and OU joining, and that didn't seem to matter. So this is just some publicity BS to get them in the news, because the last time the Pac-12 was in the news was because they were not playing football and had more COVID cases than everybody else who was. So it's just facade. Yeah, now, I think uh, part of that definitely has to do with the, most of the commissioners in the ACC, uh, Big Ten, and Pac-12 are less than a year old, if that. Um, Andrew, are, are you pretty much of the same opinion that this is just a kind of a, like, uh, just a publicity stunt, essentially? I think the reason it happened is we look back at the last time conference realignment happened, and it, one domino set off another domino, which set off a bunch of other dominoes. And I think that was what they were trying to prevent, was... Oh, the SEC did this. Well, someone else needs. We need. You know, the Big Ten says, "Oh, well, we need to add somebody," or the ACC says, "We need to add somebody." And I think that's what this was kind of trying to get in front of was, let's not poach each other. As you said, notice that the Big Twelve is left out in this conversation. So, you know, when Iowa State and Kansas join the Big Ten, we'll be really surprised, or we'll act really surprised. I. I don't know. I mean, it it's tough because I think there's varying perspectives. I think a lot of people are looking at it from the idea of like, so the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 are going to be working together. But 
the more the week has dragged on, that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to essentially be what you're describing, Andrew, which is just like we could make things a lot worse uh, for us in the long term by trying to snipe schools from each other in the short term. Um, But I think this is also just kind of like a move by a bunch of commissioners that want to make it look like they're doing something, but really are just kind of not doing anything with their work. (laughs) Artem, feel free to jump in at any point, because I know, I think you compared it to like a person sitting on their computer with the uh, email open, and at the same time, like, in the background having like a bunch of YouTube videos playing. Like, what? It just, it seems like they're just trying to make it look like they're putting in effort, but they're really not doing anything. Yeah, it's like working from home. (laughs) Just kidding. Some people actually put in work from home, but... um... I me. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's just it's just a, such a BS political stand, I guess, in my opinion. Like, it, it blocks nothing, right? Uh, like Andrew said, or I think maybe you said it, if Iowa State and uh, whoever wants to join the Big Ten tomorrow, they'd be like, oh, sorry, well, I didn't start it. They approached me, so it's your conference as well. Like, what's going to happen? Nothing. There's zero repercussions. Like, the next day, I think USC scheduled a matchup against, like, LSU, just as a – people were joking about it as a, a huge middle finger to the alliance, right? <laughs> Literally, like, the, in the within the next 24 hours of it being announced. So it, it's kind of like a joke now, honestly. Well, it, again, it's, it's also kind of like a uh, – it's something that if they didn't sign any documents, I mean, what's going to keep this from changing next year? They're just going to – like you said – I mean, I don't think Texas and Oklahoma are slated to join for another few years officially. So, I mean, what's going to slate some stop somebody from like coming back next year and being like, "Oh, now Iowa State wants to join the Big Ten, or I, Kansas, I guess. Hat. Huh? Go for I have it. A tinfoil hat theory. Go for it. Um, I don't know when the Big Ten's uh, contract and stuff box comes up. But if it's in the next year, my tinfoil hat theory is that ESPN bribes the Big Ten to add Iowa to informally invite Iowa State and Kansas, thus killing the Big 12 and allowing those schools to leave without having to pay exit fees. 2023. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's my tinfoil hat theory. Well, I also have a tinfoil hat theory because apparently as, as I pointed out to Artem, I listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't ours. So uh, somebody pointed out um, on the in one of the podcasts I listened to that this could be a potential move by the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12 to potentially essentially unify and block playoff expansion until they're able to scout that uh, TV deals with m- m- different uh, groups other than ESPN. Because at the rate things are going, ESPN basically will have a monopoly on college football, um, especially with the deals that they've got with the SEC right now. Now, I-, I don't know the inside on all those deals, but I mean, that is an interesting idea to be like, we're not going to immediately make a move to re-up our contracts um, but again, if nothing's written down, there's there's nothing saying that can happen. We're just spitting into the wind, just guessing at what could happen. I don't know. Uh, I realize this, but 
going to put Google, the contract runs out in 2023, I don't know if you heard me say that, but this, apparently the Big Ten contract is split between ESPN and Fox, and they're actually getting more money than the SEC was per game, because two networks are putting their costs, and according to the, continuing the tenfold at theory of Andrew, it looks like Fox is going to try to make a move on it and offer them an even bigger contract so they can be the sole owners of the of the rights. Especially with ESPN moving in on ECC, uh, SEC. And what we've seen this weekend, you know, we watched a couple games, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but there were a bunch of games on Fox and only a couple games on ESPN. It was almost half and half, if not more on Fox, just from a perception. Well, I think a few had CBS Sports Network, but the big one, which was Illinois and Indiana, was definitely on Fox. So I, I just... I, I'm kind of perplexed by the timing of this move. It felt like they kind of just decided they needed to say something. Like, I'm not against the idea of a quote-unquote alliance if it actually has an impact, but right now it just seems like it's all talk. So maybe at the end of the season, as things change, we'll see more development and this storyline. Um, but right now, I just think it's a bunch of nonsense, and it really doesn't seem to change anything. And I think I think the other thing that they can do, and I'm not even sure how this exactly works, but they could kind of pool their votes. You know, Artem was talking about playoff expansion. They could pool their votes and have enough votes to, you know, say we expand to eight, but there's a limit of no more than two teams per conference. Or, you know, it's weighed heavily for conference champions. Or, you know, the school's just trying to find ways to be like, yeah, we'll expand it, but we're going to limit the impact the SEC can have. I think the other thing this kind of starts to open the door for is what I see is the inevitable exodus of major college football from the NCAA. Really? You think so? I mean, but how long I, is that going to take? Or is this more tinfoil hat stuff? No, I, I was tinfoil hat because it's something that I think is going to happen, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be a clean oh, just everyone in the SEC leaves, they start their own league, it's just the SEC and they only play the SEC and da 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 I think you're going to see a huge split because the thing that we keep forgetting is the NCAA and college athletics is run by university presidents. And a lot of universities and presidents don't necessarily like athletic departments. Now, in your big sports schools, they probably get along pretty okay. But in a lot of your other schools, they don't really like each other very much. And I think if you were to split and turn into basically a semi-professional or even, you know, truly professional minor league system, I think you're going to see a lot of schools that would surprise you just say, oh, to hell with it. Either they're going to go down and, and there's going to be a whole new you know, FBS will be what it is, but it'll be minus the big-time programs. Or FCS will just expand massively. You'll see, you know, because we have to remember, the FBS-FCS split only happened in, I think, 1979-1980. So we're, was that, 40 years into a, an FCS-FBS split? That's 10 so years before I was born. I mean, it was six years before I was born. But it's just interesting, because I do think that that's an inevitability. Because the thing we need to remember, and I harp on this about the NCAA as well, is, yes, 
foot major college football and men's basketball are the two big things that everyone thinks about the NCAA for. But you have to remember they run every other sport all the way down to the Division three level. And a lot of times the system and the model works for all of those lower level sports. And so that's where it gets really interesting is breaking football off because football pays for all those sports in every school. And it's just messy. And it's going to be interesting because I think I think it's something that's going to happen in some way, shape, or form. Scary thoughts. You know, we'll get an NCAA too. Well, it's it's just frustrating because it changes. Hopefully, it never gets to the point where our you know your schools are actively losing their programs into professional programs. But it's just hard to say. I mean, there's obviously going to be a lot of change on the horizon. We've been talking about that for a while. Uh, Artem, any last thoughts on the alliance before we move on to our next topic? Yeah, you know, Andrew knows a lot more history than I do. Uh, from what I do know, in the more recent years, it just seems like there's change every 10 years, right? Like, in about 10 years ago, we started the playoff. 10 years before that was BCS, right? 10, 15 years. So it, it's changing constantly, and that's, you know, for, for some fans that are out there, like, pissed off of what they're seeing now, this is college football for you. It changes every 10, 15, 20 years, and it's a big change. It's never, you know, anything tiny. So far, what we've seen, it's all been good change, right? We went to a BCS system. We're constantly improving. Like Andrew said, those uh, lower-tier schools who may not be performing as well are still getting money, and whenever they play the big schools, they still can support uh, the baseball, soccer, all kinds of other sports, and that's really what it's all about, right? It ends up about being money and those schools wanting more money so they can support every single sport and every single athlete and really provide more opportunities. So in the end, with this and NIL, it's all going to be better for the kids, for a majority of them. Uh, that's how I rationalize it, just from what I know. All right, fair enough. Well, let's move on to, <laughs> I guess... If you all have any other games you want to talk about in week zero, we can discuss it. But uh, I think the key one that I wanted to bring up was Illinois at Nebraska. Now, Art and I were discussing this a little bit before we got into it, but uh, I'm going to pass it to you, Andrew, to give us a start on the coaching implications. Essentially, Illinois, with Brett Bielma getting his first start back in the Big Ten, uh, got a Upset over Nebraska, which I don't think a lot of people were expecting in a make-or-break year, potentially, for Scott Frost's contract. Uh, or what? And I think people are already calling for his job. So what are your thoughts on the results of that game? Uh, did you Were you able to watch any of it? I watched a little bit of it. Um, and, yeah, Scott Frost is going to get fired. Um, he may beat Fordham, or he should beat Fordham. I mean, Buffalo... On paper, they should win, and then they have to go at Oklahoma. Um, that's going to end poorly. But then, I mean, Michigan State, Northwestern, Michigan, Minnesota, Purdue, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Iowa. We have to remember they're in the division that doesn't get to play Rutgers every year. Wow. So, yeah, Scott Frost is getting fired. Um, looking at the box score, this is a peak Brett Bielema game. <laughs> you know, 48 carries for 167 yards on the ground. They weren't even very good at it. I mean, they averaged 3.5 yards per carry. But, you know, we know Brett Bielema. What does Brett Bielema want to do? He man wants to run the ball behind really big, fat offensive linemen. And that's pretty much what he did. Well, um, I mean, this game, 
game wasn't even as close as the score. I mean, it was 30 to thirty to 16 going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, and I mean, Artem, you were talking about it. I think the Nebraska defense looked good at getting in the opposing backfield, but I think just Brett Bielema's running game where it's just like, just keep pushing it at them and eventually that's – you, they'll give. I think that just yeah, uh, Illinois had a, a ten minute time of possession advantage. Yeah, I think that says something about their strategy. But uh, I think the other thing that can't be understated is Illinois' defense looked uh, pretty solid in this game. They were getting a lot of pressure on the Nebraska quarterback, and I think the interception touchdown uh, for a touchdown at the end of the second quarter really kind of was what demoralized Nebraska and kind of set the rest of the game in motion the way it did. Um, Artem, sorry, I got, I got kind of distracted. What were your thoughts watching this matchup? <laughs> You're good. Uh, I think there's a lot going on there. I hope Scott Frost doesn't get fired because I think we've talked about this before, but, you know, you should give a coach more time. If, if you've got a messed up program and you fired a coach who was winning you, uh, Bo Pelini was putting in what, nine wins every season. You need to calm down. Give your new coach some time to figure it out after you already messed it up. So, um, what I saw in that game was, and also what I heard was, uh, Illinois had a lot of transfers, and their offensive line were pretty much all seniors. So, when you get an offensive line like that, you're, they're going to run well. Uh, they're going to they're going to block run well. They're going to protect their quarterback and. Illinois lost their first-string QB in the first quarter, I believe. And the second-string guy came in, and his numbers looked very efficient, I guess I would say. I think he was like 12 of 15 for 150 yards. But in reality, uh, he got sacked a lot by the Nebraska D-line. So I, I think really the biggest takeaway for Nebraska should be we're all right. You know, this isn't, this isn't the end of the season. But they need to figure out how to – make shorter plays for their quarterback. They had him hanging out in the backfield too long, you know, trying to find somebody to find somebody to pass through. Their their routes were too long. Can you throw some slants, run the ball, make it easier for him? because um, their offensive line can't block. I mean Andrew said they they'll lose all those big games, but honestly they should be expecting that. They haven't recruited well, which you talk about all the time. Um, and there's there's no continuity in their program. They had people transfer out. So their expectations should be much, much lower. I know Nebraska used to be a huge program, but you got to give this coach time to get his guys in. I know it's his fourth year, but he's had people leave, and this kind of change talks takes a long time, like we saw with Clemson. Well, I will say this is uh, his fourth year. This is the start of his fourth year with Nebraska. I didn't know this until I pulled up his record. Scott Frost has not had has only had one winning season as a head coach, at least according to Wikipedia, and that was the 13-0 and season with UCF. Every other season, he's been under 500 at least. It's like kind of crazy to think about. But During the broadcast, they said uh, for a head coach that's been there at least three seasons, he's the second worst winning as a head coach. Oof. Yeah, just, yeah until Jeff Collins wins two games to Georgia Tech this year. <laughs> Sorry, at, at Nebraska specifically. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, but to be fair, like that's that's a little unfair with a place like Nebraska, where you know you had um, Tom Osborne and Bob Devaney both coached for like twenty years.
years of peace and never had a losing season. It is. You're right. You're right. With the two, the, the number one and three weren't that far away from him. So they've had a couple other ones that are pretty bad. It's it's also. Bill Callahan was terrible. Um, well, Mike Riley wasn't very good. <laughs> well, and it's it's tough for Nebraska in particular because this is a place where you know they still have high expectations from the fans. I mean, they've still, even with the past three seasons, they have sold out every single one of their home games. And if you look at that, South Carolina, they're winning one game a year. Yeah, and then Illinois in that Illinois matchup, I think the majority of the fans were also Nebraska fans. Like Nebraska has some hardcore fans. Uh, what the hell else is there to do in Nebraska? Yeah, they just want to get the hell out of there. <laughs> so like, yeah, so just... Callahan had a winning record in Nebraska. Holy shit! It was yeah. The, the stat was in the first uh, at least three seasons, and it was well, there was one guy worse than him. I think uh, Scott Ross was like point four one one, and some other guy was like point three seven something. Well, no, no, it wasn't any of the newer guys because even I mean, Solich was good. Osborne and Devaney are obviously like legit. So, um, distracting a little from Nebraska, though, does this give you any hope for Brett Bielema at Illinois going into the season? Like, I because I, I, I can't say that I had huge expectations for Illinois coming into this year. Uh, I don't. I still don't think they're going to challenge anybody. But do you think they have like they get like four or five wins this year? I can see a bowl game. Oh, Andrew. I, I mean, I think I think it would take like everything to go right for them. But I, I mean, I could I could find six wins. I mean, I could get to four pretty easily. Beating Texas, San Antonio, beating Virginia, and beating Charlotte—that's good. That gets them four wins. You know, and if they can sneak up on Maryland and they do get to play Rutgers, I mean, that's. That's six wins right there for Illinois. What I'm fascinated by is you actually put Rutgers over Virginia. You're just like, yeah, they'll beat Virginia. But Rutgers, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't really know a lot about Bronco men and all the Cavaliers this year. I don't think they're supposed to be very good. But. That's fair. Uh, Artem, any thoughts on that? I think they'll beat somebody later in the season that they're not supposed to just because it's some team that had big dreams, but they were crushed by Ohio State or Penn State or somebody. Um, I, I did enjoy it, you know, it's kind of like Brett Bielema was obviously a really good head coach at Wisconsin and he left to the SEC where recruiting is king and it's quite a bit different. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how to describe it, right? I feel like Wisconsin's a place where you're going to get a certain number of really huge white dudes, like no matter how good you are recruiting. And they've had just a history of decent defenses to the point that you're going to have a decent defense. So may not be beating Ohio State, but you win a bunch of games. Do, do you, I feel like... Do, do you feel like that's why he's so good at recruiting up there, is that there's just a relatability when Brett Bielma comes in the room? They're like, man, he's a big, fat, white guy. I'm a big, fat, oh. white guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Bielema's a big, tent guy. I mean, he played for Hayden Fry at Iowa. He, he was at Wisconsin for a long time. Uh, I'm pretty sure he... He was an assistant coach somewhere else in the Big Ten for a while. Like he wasn't nose guard in college, in case we were wondering. Um, I yeah, wasn't. I guess he was in Kansas thanks. State for a couple of years. But yeah, he was in Wisconsin. You know, he's he's a Big Ten guy, so he kind of knows 
what it takes to, to do that in the Big Ten. And I thought they won. Yeah, they won the division three times. No, they won the Big Ten three times in a row. He won the three straight Rose Bowls. Yeah, he, he had a lot of success. I feel like the SEC was quite different. So whenever he got over to yeah, the SEC West, too, uh, whenever he got over there, I, I just I didn't see him doing as well, especially after the year where you know they had, had a hyped-up offensive line that was bigger than the NFL. That was the year to do well. I think it was like 7-6. and six. Well, Arkansas, that's a... <laughs> Well, I mean, coming yeah. off of, uh, what's his face? Uh, what? what, what's that head coach's name with the, the motorcycle accident and the neck brace? Bobby Petrino. I mean, coming off of that, is Well, yeah. and I've always kind of liked Brett Bielema's style, where it's just like, put it on the ground and just wear him out and wear him out. And I don't think it works very well in the SEC because you're constantly going up against Alabama and Auburn and LSU, who are like... It did. He did. That's what uh, Saban did to people for years in yeah. LSU and uh, Alabama. So he was like, oh, you're from Alabama, yeah. Yeah, I just... Hey, I, you got five-star wide receivers. Let's just make them run. I just feel I like... Really, uh, I feel like Bielema ran into some tough competition. Let me rephrase that. He ran into some tough competition for planning that kind of an offense uh, up the, at, in the SEC. Sorry, go ahead. what were you saying, Andrew? Yeah, it's just kind of a... You know, Saban did that until he started getting beat by Hugh Freeze and Johnny Menzel and said, fuck, maybe I need to adapt on offense. And now he's unstoppable again. Yeah. So, I mean, there's all kinds of... It's fun to watch that rebuild. So, I, I hope Illinois does well. I have missed seeing Brett Bielema's, like, confused face on the sidelines. I just <laughs> love... It. Like, even when he's winning the game, he just looks utterly perplexed. I love it. They call the timeout in the third quarter, and I was like... Why? He <laughs> <laughs> like, like, looks like Jameis Winston when James before LASIK surgery. He like, didn't know he could see well. But we're going to find out about Bielema saying it's like, Bielema looking to get LASIK. He actually can't see the scoreboard from where he's at. Right. I, I just want, I want some like workout apparel company to pay for a Bielema to wear a Doesn't uh, doesn't Calvin Johnson own an apparel thing? Reach out to him. All right. Anyway, um, moving on to the topics. So with week one coming in, uh, I think we already have talked about the team's expectations overall on earlier in the season. So specifically going into week one, really quick, I'm not going to ask about the team itself, but and I'm going to start with you, Artem. Do you have a player that you want to see really? come out and just put on a big performance in week one for Texas a Oh, shit. Did I just spill my alcohol everywhere? Um, yes. Uh, outside from the new redshirt uh, freshman quarterback that we have, I would like for that to be uh, our five-star wide receiver we've had on campus for a long time. Um, there's a lot going on today, you know. Uh, Demon DeMoss is his name. And uh, he was a five-star when we recruited him, but he missed his senior year of high school football. Um, he's the type of dude that does, does flips in the end zone. So um, I'm really looking forward to big things from him. He's actually been in the program for a while now, and uh, we've been missing the vertical threat. And now we have a quarterback that can throw that route and uh, actually land the ball in the bread basket. He does so have a, my, 
He has a great name too. Did you say Demon Demos or Damon? Demon Demos, yeah, I think Demon Demon. I don't know. It's, it's pronounced kind of different than I thought it would be. Oh, okay, all right. But yeah, that is like that's an all name namer up there. Yeah, I mean, and he could get a big showing against Kent in the first round. There's going to be a lot of offense in that game. Um, Andrew, it's a bigger challenge for you. We don't exactly have the best recruits, but Georgia Tech, you got a player you want to see ball out? Obviously, you want to see Jeff Sims play well and, and see a lot of growth from his his basically. I'm still trying to get used to the fact that last year didn't count for eligibility, so he's still technically a true freshman, even though he started a full season. So I'm kind of okay. I need to adjust and figure this out. <laughs> but it seems to be a big one. I mean, obviously, everyone's excited about Jameer Gibbs, the running back. Uh, you know, it's. I just want to see the defense play better. Uh, we really struggled a lot last year. And I don't think we'll learn, hopefully, as I knock on wood on my kitchen table, we'll learn all that much from playing Northern Illinois. But, again, I think we'll learn more if it's a close game than we'd learn if it was a blowout. We're 18-point favorites, so. Yeah, I think, I think the two players that I want to watch, and I'm a little biased because I wrote the linebacker article, so. Um, but I want to see... Allende Ale, I still don't know if that's the right way to pronounce his name. I'm just going to call him Ace. I want to see Ace, and I want to see Quez Jackson both come in and show me something, like, superior. Because Quez was projected as being an ACC first-teamer coming into the season. And Ace was obviously a big player for Maryland uh, coming into this. So I feel like that could be a significant step up at the linebacker spot. But we just haven't seen really enough out of that, and I don't know if it's the play calling or if I don't know if it's uh, that they're just better at playing the secondary and not as good at pressuring. I don't know. But I want to see them get in the backfield. I want to see them create chaos. That seems to have been what's the main thing that continually is missing from our defense is we don't get anybody in the backfield. So I would like to see those two guys start making a significant difference. But – that's just my that's just my feelings on the matter. Uh, any other thoughts, Andrew? Before we move on, yeah, the linebackers is a lot. You know, I really would just like to see a guy fit a run correctly and not give up a sixty-yard touchdown run to someone. You know, it's been years since we've had linebackers that can do their job. Wouldn't hurt. But, like you said, Certainly. I just want the defense to look better. <laughs> Uh, well, on that fun note, uh, let's go into, before we start about our official game predictions for the week, I want to talk about a few season-defining games that we're looking at this week, uh, potentially. So, the biggest one is obviously Clemson and Georgia, two teams that are kind of having the, their, basically their biggest matchup of the year to start their season. Uh, the good news for Georgia, and I struggle with this, but the good news for Georgia is that because they play in the SEC, if they lose against Clemson, they can always kind of bounce back and get some more big wins down the line. Whereas if Clemson loses this game, there isn't a lot of competition in the ACC that they face until they get to the ACC championship because they don't play UNC, they don't play Miami, and there isn't really anybody in the Atlantic that kind of – like 
FSU just isn't what they used to be. There's nothing that really brings up the rent. So with that in mind, I guess, Andrew, uh, I'm going to start with you. Do you think that if Clemson loses to Georgia, they're going to be able to make the playoff? Or I guess, like, or do you think they should make the playoff? So I'm going to go off script because I am continuing to fight this battle. I will lose. But Georgia doesn't fucking play anybody. Florida is the only ranked team currently on their schedule other than Clemson. Their crossover teams are fucking Arkansas and Auburn. They don't play LSU. They don't play A&M. They don't play Alabama. Like, Tennessee sucks. Missouri sucks. Kentucky sucks. Vanderbilt sucks. sucks. Like, yeah, I get like, oh, shit all over the ACC. Like, I get it. But Georgia doesn't fucking play anybody. That's, All right. Okay. Got that out of your system? <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. I'm just speaking, and, and it kind of spits in the face a little bit of, of the Georgia rant, but it'll also depend. If Florida State's decent, that'll help them. Uh, you know, the problem is, again, we, we deal with everyone's perceptions of teams, not actually how good they are. Because Wake Forest could be undefeated and no one's going to care. No one's going to think it's a good win if you beat Wake Forest, regardless of what else they've done. And that's, I think, the biggest problem is because they don't have a marquee name, even Georgia plays Florida, Georgia plays Auburn, which are teams that, because of name, people, oh, maybe they're pretty good. And Clemson, unfortunately, doesn't have that outside of Florida State. And everyone doesn't expect Florida State to be very good. You know, if South Carolina is decent, that might help them. I think they could get in just because you never know the chaos or the craziness that's going to happen. I think if they get blown out, they might really struggle. But if they win the SEC, they would probably get to play, they would hope, a, a highly ranked North Carolina or Miami and kind of give them that last statement winning the conference win. So it's possible. I think it's a little harder. But again, there's so many variables that go into it, including how other conferences end up and, and how other teams play. You know, they can lose to Georgia, and then Georgia could end up only winning games. And we're like, oh, shit. I, I don't know that that will happen, but, I mean, you're, you're kind of right. I mean, that, that, would be, that would certainly throw another whole wrench in there. I mean, I do like your take that essentially, I mean, it's more of a matter of perception than it is that they don't play anybody. But, uh, again, I'm not the one who votes on these things, and I think the playoff committee will kind of see it differently. Um, Artem, what are, what are your thoughts on the uh, Clemson situation? It's uh, going to be an interesting game that unless one team is really blown out, really tells us nothing for the rest of the year, to be honest. So, uh, it's likely to be a close game, and whether a team loses this matchup won't matter, like Andrew said. I completely agree with you know what he's saying as far as, like, if it was Wake Forest, they'd be done for. But because it's Georgia and Clemson, this is a really good match for them to get publicity, and if they lose by three points, which, you know, it's likely to be a close loss, the coach could come out and say, Hey, five-star recruit, you know, if we had you, we would have beaten them. And, you know, we don't have anybody, so you can come here and start here. It's one of those. Uh, it's going to be a fun game to watch, don't get me wrong. Uh, I think Georgia is lacking in running backs this year. Uh, I think they're usually pretty stacked, but with five stars. But I don't think this is the case anymore. They've, 
either gotten all drafted or the guys behind them haven't played that much. So we're breaking a new running back semi-new. Oh, I mean, we're still making, we're still going to make the pick on the game later. I'm, we're just asking if Clemson loses, do they make the playoff? Sounds like you're in the, um, they definitely make the playoff. Anyway. Yeah, I don't think this game changes that unless it's a blowout. If Georgia blows them out, then I think it leaves the door open for a potential undefeated Pac-12 team to step in instead of Clemson. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm just gonna mark that as a hard no. Um, I don't see that happening. But anyway, uh, moving on, and I'm gonna go back to you, Andrew. Uh, so next up, so Indiana, Iowa. Now I'm just kind of looking at this matchup as a uh, kind of the setup for the dark horse I'm gonna be following in the Big Ten because both these teams are. Well, Iowa's getting a lot of hype from people I'm listening to about the talent they have this year and about the way that they are setting up to play. And I think Indiana, obviously coming off of last year, surprised a lot of people with how well they did. Um, Do you have any expectations for one of these teams, the winner of this matchup essentially being the dark horse uh, in the big 10 or potentially even winning the big 10 this year? Well, I don't think it's Indiana because Indiana's in the East has to play Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. Uh, so I think even if Indiana wins this game, they, they've got a much longer road to win the Big Ten. Um, you know, I think we're going to run to the, we run to the same thing kind of in the Big Ten West that we run into in State like East. Coastal is, there's not really a bell cow team that you can say, oh, you're in and you're out. This team's going to be the favorite. And I think that that can hurt perceptions at time, you know, even, again, like, we're talking about Northwestern wins the West, and everyone goes, oh, fuck, Northwestern, or it's just Northwestern. That doesn't, you know, get anybody going. And again, I don't, I know Michael Penix Jr. is back, I think, for Indiana. I don't really know anything about Iowa. I know they have a lot of tight ends. Um, I think they're, I think big, and, yeah, I think Iowa's big on the defense and on the O-line, mainly, yeah. You know, oh, so, like, Three quarters of the Big Ten. Yeah, pretty much. How original. Um, I, I don't know a lot about either of them. So, I think it's really weird the way the Big Ten is doing conference games again the first week, and they're spreading them out like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, which, to be fair, we had a Big Ten conference game this past Saturday for whatever reason. But So, really quick, I mean, I guess it doesn't seem like you're very impressed by those. Do you have a uh, maybe a dark horse in general that you're following? This season, maybe we go from that direction instead. Uh, well, I mean, I am a card-carrying Coastal Carolina fan. Oh yeah, um, I love the Chanticleers. Um, they brought back a ton from last year, and honestly, their schedule sets up pretty pretty well. The only Power Five team they play is Kansas, and they've won two in a row against Kansas. <laughs> Yeah, so, I, I think they'll be probably fine. You know, I don't know that they'll make the know, playoff. They but... do. I mean, they've got a tough at, at Troy at Georgia Southern stretch, which I think are our teams that we all expect to really be the uh, the top teams in the Sun Belt. Uh, they they miss uh, Louisiana Lafayette, which is good because that's the other team we expect to be really good in that conference. Excuse me, I believe you just mean Louisiana, right? Nope, they can pry Lafayette from our cold <laughs> Uh, speaking of, I think, um, Artem, do you, I wanted to kind of lead into this matchup 
But uh, do you think that uh, Louisiana is going to be your dark horse, and will they beat Texas? And if they beat Texas, how bad is th- are things going to be for Texas this year? It's definitely uh, an interesting game. I don't think the referees will let Texas lose. Um, there's too much money on the line from them. We've seen that many times where a school puts a really good effort in and almost beats a uh, you know, power five opponent. Um, I, I think Louisiana Lafayette's got a good team, and I think it's almost a perfect storm brewing over there. But I've watched by accident or because I hate them and they were losing too many Texas games to know how this game plays out. And Although I want Louisiana Lafayette to win, um, and they have a good coach and they get a chance. I don't think the referees are going to just allow that. Um, and I, I realize how it sounds, but, um, you know, we've all heard of the Texas losing to Kansas or Texas losing to Iowa State. Texas losing to Iowa State was like three years in the making. Um, I watched three separate games where Iowa State was close to beating Texas, and it was like, no joke, video evidence, football cross, crossing the goal line, and like two seconds later, after it's already crossed, on video, and it's like, it's not an up cam, it's like a sideline cam, and you can see it happening. Uh, it's very clear. A player punches the ball out, ball falls out, and Texas player starts running it back, and they lose, right? Uh, Texas wins, Iowa State loses. And they do a video review, and they're like, it's inconclusive. I'm like, this is the most conclusive evidence I've ever seen. So I've seen too many of those games. Well, uh, I hope they lose because they deserve it. Um, this does bring up this does bring up an interesting question. So now that they are leaving the Big Twelve, will the refs actually be against Texas and Oklahoma this year? Um, that is a great question. Because they are actually against; they are still getting Big Twelve refs. Am I correct? Well, this one they might not be because it's like think a neutral matchup. But I mean, in the future, this could be that could be an interesting question. We'll have to keep an eye out for that down the line. Um, yeah, and I don't think it's like a paid-off thing. I think it's like a you've-been-a-fan-of thing because there's been plenty of Big 12 referees that are closet, actual, full-on Texas fans. Yeah, well, I think it's just like any big program where it's just like the big program has been yeah. a big program, so they get the calls. And that can be yeah. because you've yeah, gotten I think, it's, I think it's that way in, in every conference. Yeah. But, you know, the calls are going to go for – if, if it's close or pseudo-close, it's going to go for the bigger-name team. Like we were just talking about, you know, if it were a close game between Clemson and Wade, Clemson's going to get the call. Hey, it's super bullshit because your job literally as a referee is to do your job and make the close calls and make them right and not a make it a close call. But it's not the world we live in. Well, it's also kind of like, you know human fallibility you just kind of you can't control the unconscious mind but then i get into psychology and it's a huge pain yeah, in the we ass. were in argentina i don't know if you guys know what they do to referees who fuck up over there but they don't coach the next game you know what i mean i mean argentina does a lot of <laughs> messed up stuff i don't know that we should be using argentina as a reference point uh Anyway, so it's funny. Uh, the Premier League actually requires referees to declare like what club they support, and they're not allowed to do their own clubs matches. Oh, that's a good policy. I hope. I, I hope. Think, I think, there are, or, it's, or there's something along those lines. Like right? there's certain rules about 
like what officials can do and, and how they handle officials in certain ways and all of that. Gotcha. All right. Well, I got to get the pin out now. Um, it's time. We got to get into the blitz. So first week of the year, you know what that means. Our first week for game predictions. So starting off, Thursday games on on September 2nd. Wow, we're already in September. Uh, Ohio State at Minnesota. So this is the big Fox matchup. Everybody's hyping it up. Ohio State number four going on the road to Minnesota. Ohio State's the 13.5-point favorites. I mean, Artem, start us off. Do we really expect Ohio State to lose this matchup, though? So Minnesota brings back a lot of people. It is a home game. They've lost a couple folks, but they bring back a lot of experience. Ohio State does not do that. Ohio State, once again, lost a lot of folks to the draft. The last couple times they got lucky with transfers who played for a couple years. Uh, got lucky with some referee calls at the end of the games. But, you know, this is going to be a tough one to pry away from, from Ohio State. I think somehow they pulled this one out. I don't think it's a 13-and-a-half point game. Uh, I think it's a close one for Ohio State. Gotcha. And, uh, Andrew, what are your feelings on the uh, Ohio State at Minnesota? I think it's Ohio State. I don't think it's close. Same. I mean, Ohio State just runs away with it. I, I think Ohio State's got the kind of weapons on offense that you could start one of us at quarterback and we'd still win the game by two touchdowns. Man, you would just hand the ball off. I mean, do the Brett, I do, do it Brett Bielema style. I can, I can throw a screen pass. It's not that far. Do it Brett Bielema style, man. Don't 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 even risk it. Just do it Brett Bielema style. All right, next up, Boise State at UCF. So this is the matchup of. Can we call them has-beens? I mean, they used to be very talented, low-tier programs. UCF is definitely not what it was. Boise State is, I don't know. I don't know what to make of Boise State because they just haven't played anybody serious in a long time, even though they're still kind of a talented team. So right now, UCF is the five-and-a-half-point favorites. They're getting Boise State at home. Andrew, who do you have in this matchup? UCF. I don't really know a lot about either of them. I'm pretty sure Hank Bachmeyer is still the starting quarterback at Boise State because that's like a peak quarterback name. <laughs> and his name Dylan, is Hank. yeah, it's Hank Bachmeyer. That's awesome. Uh, and Dylan Gabriel is still the starting quarterback at UCF. I watched UCF play really, really good last year and beat us really, really badly. And UCF's still pretty good. Especially on offense, although they did lose Josh Heupel, I am kind of excited, low key, to see what the Gus Malzahn Central Florida looks like. So I will probably watch a decent amount of this game just to see that. Okay, well, so I guess, I, but you're basically just watching it to see if UCF how much UCF runs up the score essentially. That I just I really like what Malzahn. I'm interested to see what kind of tweaks and changes we see at a place like Central Florida that maybe we didn't see at Auburn or at some of his other other places. Gotcha. All right. Well, then, Artem, what are your what are your views on this matchup? I think we know what we're going to see. We're going to see a bunch of false starts because they have a playbook of 140,000 plays and they only practice each of them one time. But... I think UCF has enough talent through the last eight years that we found that you can 
pretty much plug in any coach at this point, and they will soon be a Power 5 coach because of the talent that's there. I think it's easier to attract kids to a Central Florida school than it is to, to Boise uh, and, and play up there. I know they, they, they had a tradition of a tough, uh, tough team, but I feel like through all the coaching changes, that's kind of uh, broken down. Uh, it's going to be tough to beat US, UCF. They're pretty stacked. Yeah. I think uh, I will actually go with Boise State, but that's just mainly because I'm a hometown. I'm a hometown Boise State fan, you know, from all my years in Idaho. Um, I, I don't know. I think uh, Boise State's kind of getting underestimated here because they're bringing back a few, a fair bit of talent. But uh, we'll see. I think uh, I think uh, UCF is going to do a uh, – uh, pretty good matchup. It'll be close, but I think Boise State can pull it out. So next up, we got the Friday games. Uh, UNC at Virginia Tech. So UNC is the number 10 team in the nation. They're going on the road, and yet they're only five-and-a-half point favorites at Virginia Tech. Um, Arden, what am I missing? Does Virginia Tech have a chance in this game? No. no. <laughs> I think UNC is going to crush them. They return too much talent. They recruit well with how Matt, Matt Brown does things. Their quarterback's uh, dark horse for the Heisman. I don't know if he's a dark horse. I think quite a few uh, pundits are talking about him being like one of the main front runners for the Heisman. Uh, and this is, I think this is the first time they said in a long time, if not the first time ever, that uh, the conversation for a Heisman is five dudes who were not in the top five last year. Uh, and so he comes back. You know, I, I see more than a five-and-a-half game. It's going to be a blowout, UNC. Uh, Andrew, I already know you're going to say UNC because uh, you have a very beautiful wife who cares a lot about her team. Do you have anything else you can add other than UNC? So, and I need to dig more into this, but I've, I've read a bunch of stuff about there's been a ton of turmoil at Virginia Tech and there's a ton of issues with... <laughs> How they've recruited, you know, the quarterbacks have all transferred out. They're starting a Oregon transfer, and I think Brian Burmeister, you know, Khalil Herbert graduate, Darius Auger, they've lost a lot on offense. The defense just hasn't been the same since Bud Foster retired. And from what I understand, they're trending in a poor direction. And this is a bit of, you know, the the coach is fighting for his job. You know, I think I think they've struggled a little bit more than they expected to, given, you know, what Virginia Tech had been previously. So it'll be interesting to see with Brian Fuente what what happens. You know, I, I think USC's going to win. I absolutely think they're the better team. Now, going into Lane Stadium is a tough place to play at night. It, it really is having been there and trying to do it. But I just think there's too much with Carolina. They they lost a lot of their skill positions, but I think the guys they've got coming in have a chance to be just as good. And obviously you've got Sam Powell and all five offensive linemen come back. The defense returns most of their guys. I think it's just it's setting up for UNC to be really good, and there's just so much turmoil and confusion at Virginia Tech that I, I could see them pulling the upset, but I just, I just don't think it's going to happen. So I will have, say, you all had, have you all had your kid yet? November. November. So will Elizabeth name your child Sam? 
if Sam Howell wins the we, we, we joked about it, but um, which it's, it's going to be a little girl, so Sam would work. But oh, Samantha, that's adorable. Um, no, I think back to the game question. I think uh, Virginia Tech is going to be better this year than I think people realize. I do expect Quinte to put it together. But no, I don't know. I also don't expect them to win this game. UNC will probably crush them. I don't know why they're only getting five and a half points. That really doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, next up, Michigan State at Northwestern. So Northwestern's three-point favorites. Um, Northwestern was pretty good. I think they beat expectations. And when you're looking at Michigan State, uh, they've been in a fair bit of off-the-field turmoil uh, over the past few years. So I'm not I'm not sure what to expect exactly out of Michigan State, um, but I think the name is kind of carrying them. Um, personally, I'm taking Northwestern. Andrew, who do you have in this matchup? All right, so and I think this is still true, that Michigan State is the only – on Ohio State to play in the playoff? Non Ohio State. I don't think that's true. It was. Well, I can look up the playoffs. It would be only. No, it's Notre Dame. The only other one would have been Wisconsin if it happened. So yeah, I, I don't think Wisconsin. Um, no, Ohio State's the only Big Ten team that's played. That's what I'm saying. So Michigan State's the only non Ohio State Big Ten team to play in the playoff. They got waxed by Alabama. Oh, like in a championship game? Like this no, year? No, in the playoffs. Yeah, they they. In like year two. Yes, yeah, they played in the playoffs against Alabama and they got crushed. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't remember who. Yeah, the quarterback was. I just remember they were in. They were in the playoff though. Let me check. All right, so Michigan State was in the 2015 one, and yes, they did get crushed by um, Alabama. And then other times it's been Ohio State. Oh, twenty seventeen, no one, none, no one from the Big Ten was in. Twenty eighteen, it was Notre Dame, who is not in the Big Ten. Twenty nineteen, it was Ohio State. Twenty twenty was Ohio State. Yeah. So there you go. No joke. I, this is why I fucking hate ESPN. Uh, I was watching the one of the games this weekend, and their stat was like, "Hey, only six teams have actually been in the playoff," and it was like Notre, Notre Dame was in it twice and they lost, right? And like, you know, we forget stuff. It's been 10 years. So I'm looking back on it now to correct myself. And yeah, Florida State was in it, Michigan State, uh, Washington was in it at some point. Bullshit, man. Yeah. Media trying to control the data. Oregon. Anyway. Um. But yeah, so back to reality. What was the point of making us look that up, Andrew? <laughs> Okay, Artem, uh, who you got? I guess I don't know what else to say. Don't have much to say on it. I know Michigan State lost their quarterback in the last two years. Uh, I'm going to go with Northwestern on this one. Fair enough. All right, well, with that, we move on to the actual day we're looking forward to, Saturday. Uh, I mean, other than, I guess, Monday. It is Labor Day weekend. Hmm. Anyway, Saturday. 
So first game on the list, Penn State is going on the road to Wisconsin. Penn State's number 19 in the nation. Wisconsin's number 12. And Wisconsin's currently the four-and-a-half-point favorites, according to Vegas at the time that I made this thing come together. So, I mean, these are two teams that are very similar on paper. Um, Penn State obviously had some tough, disappointing losses last year. Stumbled a lot more than they should have. Part of that was because of COVID. Um and Wisconsin was basically kind of invalidated the entirety of last year. Uh, Artem, who do you got in this matchup between Penn State and Wisconsin? I'm going to take Wisconsin. It's early in the year. Wisconsin doesn't take big losses early. Uh, Penn State's usually pretty disappointing to watch, except for a couple seasons. Um, and the whole rate thing. So I'm going to pick against Penn State, Wisconsin. God, how long has it been? Oh, well, anyway. Not uh, long enough. Yeah, never forget. All right, anyway, um, Andrew, who do you got? In a continuation of the Andrew knows almost nothing about the Big Ten, I am going to pick Wisconsin because they're good at football. Okay. I think, they're, I think Graham Burns is back in quarterback. I think they returned a lot of weapons. I don't think they lost a lot in the draft. Penn State, uh, I know they lost a lot on defense. Uh, Michael Parsons, uh, Owe, the pass rusher. I don't know anything about them on offense. Uh, I'm not the biggest James Franklin fan. Uh, he seems kind of like a jerk sometimes. So I'm going to go with Wisconsin. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm also not a big James Franklin fan, but I will say he kind of had it rough in a few games last year. I think this is the year where he makes a big stride, and Penn State is potentially the team that comes out of the Big Ten although I'm going to need to see a few more games out of them. If they do that, this is going to be one of the key matchups where they're going to win. So I do expect Penn State to come into this one and pull an upset. So I'm going to pick Penn State, and y'all can deal with it. I'll tell you who I'm not going to pick, though. Uh, Alabama versus Miami at Mercedes-Benz. Alabama's an 18.5-point favorite. That number is looking awfully small to me. I'm going with Alabama. Andrew, is there any reason that we should not be picking Alabama in this matchup? There's, there's no reason you shouldn't pick Alabama because I think Alabama is going to win the game. I think it will be an interesting kind of chess match because of Brett Lashley, the offensive coordinator of Miami, has played Alabama a lot. He was at Auburn. He spent a lot of time with Gus Malzahn's staff. And, you know, Gus kind of had a way of beating Alabama surprisingly. I don't think Miami will do it just because – Alabama's Alabama. I mean, the one thing they can hope for is the freshman quarterback at Alabama, Bryce Young. Maybe he struggles. Maybe he isn't able to, to get the ball to the weapons they have. I don't know really anything about Miami defensively. But I just – you can't pick against Alabama. I mean, I think that's kind of the, the thing that we've learned year after year after year is you just can't pick against them, especially against a team like Miami that – Always seems to be hyped, but that doesn't really seem to do anything. Which is a shame, because I, I mean, Derek King is apparently supposed to be the hottest shit on the fucking planet with how much he's getting paid. But he's a hell of a player. Uh, I'll give him that. But anyway, so he's a hell of a player in Houston. <laughs> Artem, uh, do you need to tell us anything other than you got Alabama? <laughs> I think Miami is definitely one of the stronger teams in the ACC this year. They have a lot built up for them. Uh, last year, Derek King was like this gem, right, that they got out of Houston, and they were like, hey, this guy's good. Let's put him on the field. And he did a bunch of cool stuff. 
stuff. But it wasn't, you know, I, I feel like he's still getting back to the mode of Derek King has not played on the team that's like, it doesn't matter what your stats are. You have to win the game no matter what is happening. I know he's a competitor and all that stuff, but he hasn't played on the team that, on the game on this stage yet. So I, I think it starts coming together for Miami quite a bit this year. I think they win quite a few games. And I think this game looks a lot closer than it does on this, you know, 18 and a half point favorite sheet up until about the third quarter, which is when Miami starts getting tired and Alabama figures their shit out. Like you said, they lost pretty much all their wide receivers at this point that were uh, first or second, third round picks, whatever. They lost a quarterback for two years in a row now. So you're breaking out a new QB, new offensive line, new wide receivers, new running back. It's going to be a ton, but they'll figure it out by third or fourth quarter. And I think Alabama uh, takes it by two scores. All righty. Yeah, I'm, none of us – I'm not particularly surprised by that. I mean, I think if Derrick King gets out of that game without getting injured, I think he should probably be happy because that's what held him up last season with the injuries. All right, next up, Indiana at Iowa. So Iowa is the three-point favorite. Um, Indiana, number 17 in the nation against Iowa, number 18. So even though Indiana is currently ranked higher – People are expecting Iowa basically giving them the home field advantage. I have made all the dumb upset picks so far, and I will continue to do that. I'm going to pick Indiana for no particular reason other than I like Indiana. And I I want the Iowa to have something to fight for going against Iowa State next week. Uh, with that in mind, Artem, who do you got in this matchup? I think Indiana wins it as well. Iowa comes in pissed off to play against Iowa State the week after. Uh, I think Indiana really showed what they can be and what they can do buying into the program, and they got quite a few recruits they probably wouldn't have in a a different year. They won a lot of games. They return a lot of that talent, and I I do think they win this game. I think Iowa's been slowly but surely declining. Uh, We're hearing less and less from them. They're winning less and less games. I think it's Indiana's game to win. All Uh Andrew, who do you get? Because I flipped the coin and the Indiana hit, so I won. <laughs> I love it. I was like, yeah. I, again, I, I, I apologize. I am not as prepared for this week as I probably should be. Uh, I know Mike Phoenix Jr. is back, and, and Indiana didn't lose too much, I don't think. I think you've had, and, a, you've had a lot going on, let's say, on the, yeah. off the field. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, I'm kind of pleasantly surprised. I was expecting to be that, uh, to be the only person picking Indiana. Um, well, let's see about this next one. So, Louisiana at Texas, which I will say Louisiana Lafayette, Louisiana Lafayette, I believe, if just to appease Andrew. But Louisiana is number twenty-three in the nation, going on the road to Austin to Texas, who's the number twenty-one in the nation. Texas is the eight-point favorites. I'm going to – I really, really, really want to pick Louisiana. I, I do, but common sense just says that it's going to be Texas. Um, Andrew, uh, is there any reason for Artem to think that uh, Texas will lose this matchup? It's possible. You never really know what's going to happen. It's a ranked matchup, which is kind of cool. Um, it's on Fox, which is – I guess, cool, question mark. But, yeah, I, I know Louisiana lost a lot. I think 
most of their running backs got drafted. You know, a lot of their their other players got drafted. I really like Billy Napier, the head coach. Uh, I've heard he's, there's a certain SEC job he's holding out for, but I don't know which one it is. The other podcasts that I've listened to that have talked about it don't really want to admit it. Uh, I think Steve Sarkeesian is a good coach. You know, he had a lot of issues with alcohol. He seems to have gotten better from it and grown from. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, hopefully he can he can be successful because you really want to see a guy who had those struggles and was able to overcome them. I just again, I think it still just comes down to kind of like we talked about with Florida State. Texas is a team that shouldn't be bad. Like you, you know, they're kind of one of those teams where the boosters just screw everything up, much like Auburn. Where because of who you are and because of how you can recruit, you should never be bad. But yeah, I, I think they'll win. You know, the fact that it's only an eight-point game is interesting, but I, I do think Texas is going to win this one. Okay, Artem, uh, going with your heart or going with your head? I think it's going to be a great start to this season. Let me tell you why. I think we're going to walk into a beautiful matchup, and Louisiana, having lost most of their houses in the hurricane, Rip, hope everybody's okay from Hurricane Ida, uh, is going to be really pissed off. They're going to be fighting to plant their flag somewhere in Austin and take over some of the land and then destroy the housing and move in. Uh, and hopefully the referees are pissed off because of the conference realignment stuff, and they just, like, text us on every play. I'm talking false starts, holding every single play, and they just they look like straight garbage in front of all their fans that have been sitting at home all year. And after, you know, the last six years of not showing up to the stadium, show up to their stadium where there's a giant uterus in the end zone and just get fucking destroyed by Louisiana, who's just fucking mad that the weather has it out for them every three to four years. That would just be just a glorious, you know, like a after 9-11 Giants win, Boston after the Boston Marathon bombing win in the Super Bowl. There's a conspiracy theory there. Let's hope it happens here. Texas, go Louisiana, Lafayette. I think Artem had like five or six different metaphors that all got mixed up in there, but I loved it. It was beautiful. Um, okay, so Artem's taking Louisiana. I wish I had the I wish I had the heart to do that, but yeah, that was a bold pick. All right, next up, our personal picks. Before we get to the prime matchup, if you can't guess, it would be UGA versus Clemson. But for our personal picks, I'm going to start off. I've got Louisiana at UCLA in the Rose Bowl. I think, uh, or sorry, LSU at, uh, versus UCLA in the Rose Bowl. Um, LSU, I think this is their first time playing in the Rose Bowl, if uh, all the stuff that ESPN is saying is correct. So that's very exciting for them. Um, and LSU really needs to do something to prove themselves because last year they looked like total garbage. Uh, UCLA is coming off of a surprising game against Hawaii. Not really surprising in the sense that they won, but surprising in the sense that the way they dominated their opponent, both offensively and defensively, makes you kind of think that uh, maybe the coach is starting to turn things around there. Um, This one is kind of what I should have done on the last pick, but I'm going to go with my heart and say UCLA finds a way to win the upset because I just don't know. After last year, I don't know what to make of LSU right now. Um, and hopefully they'll turn it around, but right now it doesn't look like that. Um, Artem, you're next up. What is your personal matchup? That's a great pick, actually. Uh, 
I think Louisiana doesn't return a lot of, except for their corner, which they keep talking up. Um, I'm kind of torn between the Sunday matchup and the Monday matchup. Andrew, are you going to pick either one of those so I can take one and you can take the other? Okay, uh, well, I'll just pick the Sunday one. Uh, Notre Dame's playing on a Sunday to start the season off against Florida State again. Uh, I think it's a good matchup because we're seeing what Notre Dame is made of. If they're back, having lost their offensive line, I feel like in back-to-back seasons, uh, breaking in a new quarterback, but having an experienced running back against the Florida State team that's trying to figure out how to win games. I think it's been enough time for where Florida State is, is still trying to recover from being crappy under Taggart for what it was a two or three years, and uh, let's hope they you know find a, a couple legs there and uh, make it a game. Otherwise, I think Notre Dame's gonna run away with it. But it'll be a fun game to watch from a, kind of which trajectories the two programs are taking. Because if Florida State does uh, come out and play well, uh, what does that say about Notre Dame going for the rest of the season? Are they out of the championship conversations for, at, at that point? And then it's Florida State back. So excited to see that Sunday matchup. All right. But you are expecting uh, Notre Dame. Notre to Dame. Win. All right. Yeah. Just just wanted to be clear on that. All right, Andrew, who you got in your personal matchup? So I've been looking at a couple of games. I'm really intrigued by the Ohio-Syracuse game. Because we've really seen Dino Babers and Syracuse struggle the past couple of years. And we've. You know, even though he did just recently retire, Frank Solis really did build a good, strong program at Ohio. So that's one that I'm interested to, to really kind of see what happens there. Um, obviously, I'll watch Coastal Carolina Citadel because I like both of those teams and what they do on offense. Um, NC State, South Florida might be pretty interesting if South Florida can do anything. But... Yeah, the problem is a lot of, because it's the first weekend of the season, there's a lot of games where you're like, eh, this should probably be a pretty one-sided game. Uh, East Carolina, App State would be really interesting. App State's a 10-point favorite. Uh, I think the Mountaineers will probably win that one because the Mike Houston era in East Carolina really hasn't gone the way we expected it to. Not at all. No. But, and also, like in terms of a big upset, uh, South Dakota could beat Kansas, but that's mainly because it's Kansas. Do you really call that an upset? Really? Um, uh, South Dakota State might could beat Colorado State. South Dakota Does State's Kansas great. have a head coach now? Who is Kansas? Because Les Miles they, got fired. They fired Les Miles, and I have no idea. Did they name an interim? Oh, no, they hired Lance Leipold. Uh, yeah, they hired, which I'm actually really excited about because... Leopold was incredible at Wisconsin Whitewater and had built a pretty solid program at Buffalo. So I'm really interested to see if he could do anything in Kansas. I just wonder how what Les Miles was doing just straight up get fired like that. But anyway. Right. It was right. Creepy as fuck. <laughs> doesn't 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 uh, surprise me. Alright, um so which of those is your actual pick? Syracuse at Ohio State or, or at Ohio? Sorry. Yeah, I think Ohio beats Syracuse, and Tino Babers may not be long for this world. Okay. Which sucks because I really like Tino Babers. I'm kind of surprised. I feel like Syracuse did pretty well last year. This this is a matchup they could win. Although Ohio has traditionally been very good in the MAC, but that's just my take. 
All right, so let's get on to a match that theoretically Andrew actually does know about, uh, the primetime matchup, uh, UGA versus Clemson. So UGA number five, uh, Clemson number three. This is going to be basically at Clemson because it's at Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. And apparently it is the Duke Mayo Classic. I don't know where that came from, but that's what I've seen. And Clemson is a three-point favorite. So I have to pick Clemson. So I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, But uh, Andrew, feel free to give us some more in-depth analysis on the game. What are your thoughts, Clemson v. Georgia? I know Georgia's had some injury issues. Their tight ends got hurt. Uh, Their one big tight end transfer from LSU is not with the team currently. I don't really know what's going on there. Uh, I know the Pickens, their big wide receiver, got hurt early in camp and is out. They lost a decent amount to the draft last year. I mean, obviously, as did Clemson. Clemson's breaking in a new starting quarterback in DJ Uyungle, who I think is going to be incredible. The hot take as it is, I think, has a stronger arm than Trevor Lawrence. Uh, you know, some of the throws that I watched him make when he played, and honestly, watching some of his high school tape is just incredible. You know, Clemson wide receivers, they lost Mario Rogers, they lost Grant Powell, but they're more talented guys and kind of stepped in. You know, the running backs are going to be an interesting one with Travis Etienne leaving, but they do have some some talent there. I don't know a lot about the defense. Again, they're, they're a team that has gotten to the point that they reload a lot like Alabama, a lot like Georgia. Um, I'm going to pick Clemson because I absolutely refuse to pick Georgia. And it will be sad if Georgia wins. I will definitely be sad if Georgia wins. Um, but, yeah, this is an interesting they, – they both line up very similarly other than the fact that I think Georgia has slightly more experience at quarterback. Defense, very similar. Offense, very similar with people leaving a running back. It's very similar on both teams, and there's a lot to like about their prospects. I shouldn't have said that. I can't, I can't take it back. Anyway, Artem, uh, who you got? DJ Uya Galilee. Uya Galilee? He's already got an NIL thing with Dr. Pepper. No way he doesn't win this game. Like, they're hyping him up way too much for him to go out and lose games at this point. And, you know, I was thinking about it when you said about Derek King, right? He's got, what, like a million dollars in uh, NIL sponsorships at this point. Like, what if he sucks this season? How does NIL look like in the years forward? Are people going to start offering you less money? Because <laughs> you're like, eh, you know what? It's kind of a risk, actually. We were just throwing money at a starting quarterback. Um, yeah, I wonder, that's a whole other thing. I wonder if there's something in the contract where it's like you have to give back the money if you don't win a certain number of games. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> you have to give us the money back. I already spent it on all the weed and uh, cars. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, I think all the I, Ohio State players have, like, new cars. Like, what the fuck? Anyway, sorry. So, uh, from a dealership, yeah. So I think DJ Uyagule, uh takes it away. I think they beat uh, Georgia. From I haven't been watching Georgia as long as you guys, honestly. Uh, you, uh, you guys and Tommy are the reason I watch Georgia and try to hate on them as much as possible. And they don't disappoint. You know, every big game they go into, it's like like a diaper or like a kid just out of the diaper for the first time, and their parents are like, <laughs> "Please don't shit yourself." And you're we're on television. Don't do it. And they're 
sideline, typing each player up. And if that doesn't happen, like, if they fall behind by, you know, three points or some shit against a big team, they're like, all right, fuck it, we lost. And it doesn't have to be a big team. We watched that the bowl game with Texas where Texas was like, oh, hell yeah, we got into a bowl, a sugar bowl. And Georgia's like, oh, we got into a sugar bowl. They got destroyed. Anyway, long story short, I think Clemson wins this one. I think Georgia poops their pants again. I think the the quarterback of Georgia, uh, JT Daniels, uh, finally figures it out somewhere later in the season. But I think Clemson's got too many five stars on the defensive line. They might actually even get injured this game. Clemson. I will say, I mean, I I don't I can't find the stats, but uh, Kirby Smart had, had since he's taken over at Georgia, he has not won a lot of these like high high-class matchups. Like, he has really struggled when he goes up against a team that seems to be on his level. They just can't seem to get over the hump. But anyway, not that I have a problem with that. Um, but yeah, so I think we're all on the Clemson train. Choo-choo. All right, guys. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for this week, and uh, we'll have to talk about next week, see see what we're doing on the Labor Day. Uh, and But yeah, I think this is a... Good setup. Uh, Artem, you got any thoughts before the start of the season? I do have a final thought, you know, as we talk about some of these teams, and if your team is one of the teams that is just embarrassing to watch this season, don't forget that last season there was a chance that you may not have watched them. But this season, at least so far, there's a chance that all of us can make it into the stadium, get excited for no fucking reason, even if our team is losing by 30 or 40 points and just have a beer and enjoy some football in the stadium. Good luck to all teams this season, except Texas and fucking those guys. Fair point. Andrew, any last thoughts? Um, no, not really. I will say to our friends down in Louisiana, just try and stay safe. I know there's a lot of chaos going yeah, on. That's, that's great odds. Yeah. To our friends... Uh, all our listeners in Afghanistan try and stay safe. I don't, don't, don't think we have a lot of listeners in Afghanistan. But anyway. Well, I'm pretty sure the Taliban bans the internet, so. Yeah, so it's rough. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, my key thought is, look, I'm just looking forward to getting back into the college football mode where it's just like something I don't really have to think about. I can just sit back and enjoy the chaos. And I'm looking forward to kind of getting back to a peaceful state with that. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I got. So to all our listeners out there, I hope you enjoy the start of the season and, uh, we're looking forward to some good college football games this year. Um, all right. Feel shoot, feel free to shoot us an email. If you've got any questions or anything you want us to talk about, shoot us an email at toemeatleather at gmail.com. And until next time, y'all stay safe and happy out there. Good night, everybody. <laughs>